0: Oh, oh, this is pretty cool. Great to be down again. And uh, you're doing good. Yes. Fantastic. Who came for Who came for the ferry floss today? Oh, well, you're going to be disappointed because there's no ferry floss. All right, we got we got the the big breakfast, the highway cafe big breakfast this morning. The steak, eggs, chops, chips. It's all there. This is what this message is about this morning. So if you came for Fairy Floss, you're going to be disappointed. If you came for Sickly Sweet, well, you're going to miss out because we're going to grow today. We're going to get our teeth into some steak. Amen? I apologise to all the vegans here, but uh, it's metaphorical, you know. Awesome. Had a fantastic Easter, wasn't it? It was great, and uh, I know... uh, you know, our Easter service is huge all over um, both locations and it's just fantastic, amazing flow uh, in what God is doing right now. Do you sense that? You know, God has got a hold of us and, uh, you know, Dave's a surfer and I'm an, I'm an old surfer. Um, and we know when that wave, when you start to get that, that lift on the wave, you feel it, you feel it, and the paddling becomes a little easier Because you got this lift and uh, just about to take off. Well, uh, I believe that in the Spirit of God. And we we started with uh, the, you know, um, this year with the overflow of 2018, uh, which was the word increase. And we knew that, you know, in 2017, God gave us that word for that year. And of course, we're like, oh, what does that mean? What does that look like? You know, like, uh, increase, great, yay, yay, let's have increase. Um, and but 2018, we started to see increase. Started to see increase not only uh, individually, personally in our relationship with God, but also the moving of the Spirit of God, and also the positioning us uh, as a church. And of course, November Gilston came online, and it was like increase. We had no idea that increase was going to look like this, and we just celebrate that. Amen just wonderful, that increase. Well, 2019, you know, 2018, we were challenged to go beyond where we are. 2019, we're challenged to grow beyond, to grow beyond where we are. And uh, that brings a greater increase. And so uh, that's what we're looking at. We looked this year in three main areas uh, of growth uh, in my faith, that as a believer, that I would know what I believe, that I would... Be absolute in my belief. Yes. Um, incredible strength in, in growth in my faith and our family. We just finished that little you know series of our family, which you know we are family. You know we're not a golf club. You know we don't have membership. You know, we're a family. You know we're brothers and sisters in Christ and the greater body of Christ and family is such a powerful thing. And and the third area that I want to look at uh, to touch on this year. Uh, is His future. His future. And uh, we had a look at the the first two um, already this year and and now I want to focus upon this area. You're getting the first uh, of this next season of His future. The first message is is for you. Um, And uh, I, I think The question of his future, when you use that terminology, it's never been more relevant than it is in this generation in which we live in. Because as we think about Christianity, you know, it's growing so fast all over the world, except the West. All over the world, Christianity is booming. There's revival, except the West. South America, China, you know, Africa, all experiencing revival. All experiencing outbreak of the Spirit of God, but not in Western Europe, in England, Australia, New Zealand, and the US. Christianity is actually on a decline. It's interesting, isn't it? And it's and it's, it's amazing because those five countries I just spoke about were founded on Christian faith. They were founded on Christian faith, They've never been a third world country. The West has never been third world. The West has always been first world. They've always prospered. But now Christianity is in decline in the West. Australia is about to become, if it hasn't already, a majority atheist nation. Something that's never happened in our history. Never happened in our history. And what they're telling us is that in in Western Europe, England, North America, Australia and New Zealand, uh, they're trending atheist. And the rest of the world is trending religious. That's what all the statisticians tell us and uh, we read about that. Let me give you some stats. We're talking about his future. You've got to understand, his future is the church. His future is the body of Christ being the body of Christ. Growing, developing, being strong, overcoming. Amen? 2006 census in Australia, 64% said that they were Christian. 64%. 2011, it was 61%. A decrease of 3%. That's, you know. In 2016, it was 52%. Which is, you know, a drop of, you know, 12% in 10 years. And, of course, in 2019, you know, you've got to be thinking it could even be lower than that. So we could be in the 40s by the next census of Christianity uh, in australia and we know that in no way will the church in the world ever cease it's just it'll never happen it'll never be lost jesus said in matthew 1618 he said and i tell you that you are peter and on this rock i will build my church and the gates of hades will not overcome it we know that scripture we quote that scripture jesus asked the question of his disciples who do you say i am Who do you say I am? And Peter came up with the perfect answer. He said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And of course, Jesus said in verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And it was on the revelation of who Jesus is, which Peter got. Peter got that. It was on that revelation of who Jesus is that, you know, um, Jesus said that um, that would be the foundation of the church all over the world. That he is the Christ. So we know that Christianity will never die out in our world. The question is will it die out in our world? never going to die out in the world. Revival's happening. Nations are thousands of, you know, are coming to Christ daily. But will it die out in our world? The principle runs true in any area of our life. What you pay attention to grows. What you don't pay attention to diminishes. That makes sense? Every area of your life. You know, if you don't, if you're a distant parent, you don't pay attention to your children, then they diminish. Yeah. But you pay attention to your kids and get involved in their life and be a part of their life, and you know, they grow into you know strong, mature adults. Is that true? Principles the same. And I'm concerned about the model that we have built. Because it only goes halfway. It only goes halfway. Uh, that people see the church as the goal. It's like, okay, I gave my life to Jesus. My life was in a mess. You know, I needed help. This person helped me or told me about Jesus, and I experienced God for the first time. And wow, wow, what a change! What an amazing. Thing. I love this. I love this. I love Jesus. He changed my life. He gave me friends. I go to church every Sunday. I love it. Twenty years later. Same story. I hope, yeah. <laughs> or not? It's only half the story. Church is wonderful. I love it. I love being here. I love the presence of God. I love the people of God. Yeah. I, I just—that's who I am. I—I I dig that. that's only half the story. And Jesus could ask us the same question today, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? If the answer to that question is the same as Peter's. If you say, well, you know, you are the uh, the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God. If that's your answer today, then the revelation of that will be evident in your life. Have to be it's a, it's a transformation that takes place. When you say yes to God, it magnifies you no to other things. Yeah, that's, good. that's the way it works. What you pay attention to grows. When you say yes, Jesus is my Lord, the Son of God, then I automatically say yes to the mission of Messiah. The mission of Messiah. Why he paid the price, why he, why he was killed, why we have Easter today is because he's salvation for the whole world and we celebrate that. It's exciting, it's wonderful. We've all partaken of that and been blessed by that abundantly. It's only half the story. I know we have a lot of immigration in Australia, and I've looked at these stats and thought, "Yeah, but you know, we get 130 immigrants in 130,000 immigrants every year. So you know, then and predominantly they're not Christian. So you look at the stats and you're thinking, well, you know, that that could be the decline,' because we know that the proportion that the churches uh, uh, Christianity is declining is the proportion that atheism is rising. Right, so it's the same thing. But let me ask you this question. And this, this is a real stark example, I, I guess. But any of us here today, uh, have, have we led one person to Jesus this week? I mean, this week, did we lead anyone to Jesus? They're born again because of our connection and relationship and or maybe this month, anyone, in a month. Or, or in tw- or 12 months, last 12 months have be led, is anyone? Thank you, anyone else? One, two, three, yeah. Um, that's 12 months, well what about two years? Anyone else, two years? I mean, let me see your hands, thank you, thank you. Two, three, okay we've got six, seven, eight. I don't mean as your job. No, <laughs> I don't mean it's your job, Pastor. <laughs> I mean it's a personal connection and relationship, and they came to Jesus—family member, friend, work colleague, uni student, whatever. You know, five years, ten. We we got a dozen. We got maybe twenty in this room today. That have led someone to Jesus Christ in the last 20 years. Does that make any sense? Does that paint any sort of picture? Yet we love church. And we love Jesus. And uh, I've got to tell you, it's not your fault. It's my fault. It's my fault. It's my generation's fault. Because we built this model to say, yes, come to Jesus. This is it. We haven't told you the whole story we have only told you, part. you're just doing what we've told you to do. But it's only half the story. So please don't feel any condemnation today. That's not what this is about. I mean, I condemn myself for this as a leader of the church, of a church, in the church, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> now I look at the church in the West and you can imagine, I've been, this has been going over in my head for a while. And, and it reminds me of the church in Laodicea. In the book of Revelation, chapter 3, listen to this. Verse 14 To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. So it's coming from the top, right? This is official news. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, Neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and self to put on your eyes so you can see. Two things highlighted in this passage that I think the church in the West, I'm not beating up on us today, I'm talking about the church in the West. Christianity in the West has two things that it says here that we've got to really have a handle on. And the first one is affluence. In verse 17, he said, You say, I am rich and have acquired wealth. Now, history tells us that the Laodicean church um, was on a three way crossroad in Asia, in uh, Asia Minor. And uh, it passed through the Lycius Valley. It had great banking facilities. It had a a, a university, a medical uh, school, university in that day, and it also had a, a huge garment industry. Right, so that was kind of what it was known for. So you can see there that it it had a hub on finances, and uh, it had uh, you know higher learning, educational higher learning, and it had um, industry. So a lot of business and a lot of, you know, corporate happenings. So this was not some sleepy back town place, Laodicea. This was a happening place. It was a thriving city that was multicultural. Many travellers, because of the the trade routes that would cross uh, through Laodicea, you know, um, would come from all directions, travelling through and and, uh, it was a real hub. But many travellers would bring their religions and they would bring their, their, their cultural distinctives, their ideas. And the city of Laodicea had the, had the ability to adapt itself, to, to um, connect all of those different influences. It had the ability to embrace all of the travellers and all of their, their views became very multicultural, this city. But because of this, the historians tell us that it was the city of compromise. The city of compromise. You know, sadly, the the same characteristics overflowed into the, the church at Laodicea. They were prepared to compromise their values to accommodate their affluence. So they didn't want to offend anybody. You know, we, we, we don't want to offend those people coming. We don't, want to, we don't want to offend them because they're bringing money into the town and, and we all have jobs and we all have, you know, prosperity and we all have that because of, you know, all of what they're bringing in. So let's not upset them. Let's not, let's not push the Christian thing too hard because, you know, we don't want to offend anybody, heaven forbid. One of the universities I heard about during the week was that they won't have the Students for Christ um tent at orientation day, uh because it might offend other religions who come to the university. <coughs> Same thing. So and this was run by the student union. This wasn't this was the student union said, you know, students for Christ, you, you can't have a, a place here because we don't want to offend anybody. Is it similar? Or no? I don't know. the accusation that that Jesus brought against the church was not that they were affluent, but they did nothing with it. They didn't hate Jesus. They just pushed him left off centre. Jesus taught us in Luke 12, the guy who was the rich fool he pulled down his barns and he built bigger ones so that, you know, he doesn't have to worry anymore. You know, I've got bigger barns, they're all full of grain, I'm good for the rest of my life. And Jesus said to him, he said, you fool, this night your life will be demanded from you. That's a challenge, isn't it? Then, then who will have all your grain and all of your affluence? Verse 21 in Luke 12 says, This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. And folks, there's nothing wrong with being wealthy. Abraham, Abraham, a friend of God, you know, one of the big deals in the Bible, was the wealthiest man in his time was the wealthiest man in his time. God's not against wealth because his heart is towards God. His heart's towards God. Great to be wealthy. Great to be gifted and skilled and successful and talented and famous. Awesome to be that. As long as your heart is towards God. Your heart is towards God. That we are... Stewards of the blessing, not consumers of his presence, his blessing upon us. Sadly, the Western Church has got caught up with the affluence, and God has pushed to that left center. So how do you know that, pastor? Well, because I'm a pastor. The shepherd watches the sheep. I also watch the offering. I also watch the offering. I know how many people we have in our church. I don't know who gives what. That's not my place. It's not my business. I don't want to know who gives what. But I know how many people we have and I know the average wage and I know the tithe of the average wage. And on that calculation with the number of people who call Highway Home, not visitors, just people, family, family at Highway, I know that we have three out of ten that tithe. Does that shock you? So if you've got a row of 10 people, you've got three paying for the other seven. It's not even Australian, let alone Christian. (laughs) Is that right? Who goes to a barbecue with nothing? You you don't, you don't, we have a name for those people in Australia. (laughs) I'm not going to say it because I'm a Christian. If you invite ten people over and only three people bring stuff, you better be a prayer. Because <laughs> you're going to have to multiply the fishes and the loaves. That's why women are so close to God. <laughs> They've got to feed the kids. You with me? Yeah. I'm telling you by our stats at church, our size, three out of ten times, Pastor Steve will tell you. And trust me, he's, he's Chinese. <laughs> He don't miss those things. Was <laughs> <Is> that racist? <laughs> Should I have not said that? Did I offend anybody? I'm sorry. You with me? Yes. Now yeah, you know, we're all, we're all walks of life, all different. But this is how it used to happen in, in my day. I won't pick on highway, but I'll pick on the church I used to go to. And true story, I knew some wealthy people in that church, wealthy, who would be on a package of, I don't know, three or four hundred thousand a year. And you'd be thinking, as a Christian, you'd be thinking, well, that'd be ten percent, that'd be forty grand into the offering. But though you drive a car of, say, $60,000, 80000 thousand dollar vehicle and you live in a home on Ephraim Island or something, I don't know. But, see, you only take 500 drawings a week to cover your your groceries because the business pays for everything else, you see. The business pays for everything else. Tax write-off and do all that, whatever. So they used to tithe 50 bucks a week. And add that up, over a year it's two and a half grand. Where it should have been 40. Are you hearing me? Now, bear in mind, you get the 90 so take forty out of four hundred. That's a lot left. I'd, I'd be happy with the with the dreams. You know, I'd, I'd I'd be happy with the overflow of that. Trust me. You're with me today. And so we 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 proudly put our fifty dollars into the offering every week, and hop in an eighty thousand dollar car and drive home and think you know I've done my bit. And they're very clever people, but. They obviously don't think God can do maths. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's not, it doesn't go in my pocket. The more you give doesn't increase my wage. But it feeds more hungry kids. Yes. That it reaches more lost and broken out in the, the street kids. You know, in the slums. And, and, and we've got, we had a, is Joey here? Joey's here. We had a meeting with the street creed, doesn't it? Crew, street crew. Which which is the, the, the police that actually go into the, the streets around Southport and Narang and, and and work with the homeless kids. We met with them last week to be able to see how can we as a church help? How can we get these homeless kids off the street? You know, And, and Joey, correct me if I'm wrong, but the main thing they needed was they loved our, our interest. They loved our concern. They loved the fact that maybe we could have it, but really they needed our money. That's the truth. If they if they had more funding for more counsellors and for more people that could go out and make more of a difference, even to buy go-cards so that these homeless kids can get a taxi home or a, a bus home or a, a train home, home, so they don't have to live in the street, but they can't go home because they can't get there. They, and so they have these go-cards, $10 go-cards. He said, if I had 50 more of those, I'd use them every week. With me, yeah. people get all offended about money. We are the most affluent, one of the most affluent nations on the earth, and it's not a money problem. Not a money problem. There's plenty of money there. Nothing I'm talking about the mega rich. I'm not talking about the mega rich. If you live in this country, if you drive a car. If you have a garage for a car, you're in the top. What is it like? Five or six percent of the world, or eight percent of the world? If you, if you've got a, a garage to put your car in. See, I I know people in India that laughed me when I told them, well, "What's a garage? Oh, we put our cars in it." They laughed. They could fit three families in that, in that garage. So I'm not talking about you know the mega rich, at the top end of town. I'm talking about every Australian. We don't have to worry about food tomorrow. We don't have to worry about, you know, next week. Yeah, we've got our bills and we've got our problems and so forth, but be very careful that our affluence is centred in Christ. And secondly, about pleasure. Verse 17, he said, I am rich and I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. Do not need a thing. Wouldn't that be cool? Do not need a thing. These guys were so rich that they didn't need to go to work. They didn't need to go and work out in the fields or labor out in the streets or anything like that. They didn't worry about you know what they were going to eat tomorrow. or even if they were going to survive. Ah, we're loaded. We're good. We don't need a thing. And I looked at that and thought, wait a minute, isn't that the goal? Isn't that the goal? Isn't that the Aussie dream? To be rich enough so that you don't have any more worries? To be wealthy enough, to be affluent enough so that your bills are paid, you know, your kids have got a you know their schooling covered, you know, you've got your retirement plan all sorted out. Isn't that the goal? It's always been my goal. It's always been my dream. I've got to tell you. I've always said, "God, is there an, is there a, an old Uncle Fred I don't know about <laughs> that's ready to cark it, <laughs> and he's loaded with no kids, and I'm the next one in line? Please, <laughs> is that possible? I've prayed those prayers. You bet." Think I don't worry about bills that I have to pay coming up? You Don't worry about my retirement. Of course I do. I worry about my wife in retirement. I'm a man. Her welfare welfare is is my first priority. My first. Pro- I won't have her living in a in a in a, a shoebox on a crust of bread a week. You with me. I worry about those things. I would love to have enough wealth to be able to say we're good. We're good. I don't have to worry about that now. We're good. But if Uncle Freddy dies and I end up loaded, what then? What, what, what then? I'll buy a caravan and travel around Australia the rest of my days. No, yeah, but what then? What happens when you go around Australia once? It's like, I've been to most of Australia and once is good enough. <laughs> I mean, some of the towns I've lived in, once is too much. <laughs> Yeah, okay, you know, it's a, well, well you know, we'll we'll go on a cruise. We'll do the Alaskan cruise. Awesome. I've done that. I've done the Alaskan cruise. What then? See my brother my brother was was a cruise director on the QE two for twenty five years. Right? Cruise director on the most probably the most famous cruise ship. On the planet, would that be right? QE2, everyone knows QE2. He was the cruiser. He's got photograph albums filled. Um, that's where you take a, a, a picture and you s- it's a book. It's, I'll show you later. Um, he's got photos with him with, pres- uh, with presidents, Jimmy Carter. Uh, you don't know him either. All right. Um, you know, with, with world famous. Um, actors, Liberace. He's got a photo with Liberace for crying out loud. You don't know who he is either. <laughs> <all right. laughs> anyway, 25 years of taking snapshots, you know, you've got an album or two. And he used to tell me, oh, he, when, whenever the QE2 would come to Brisbane, which was not often because it couldn't fit. Um, I used to go on, on board the QE2 and have lunch because he's, he's a cruise director and I, you know, I'm family, so I get a free lunch. <laughs> and uh, so we go on the QE2 and Andrew would walk around this ship like he owns it. I'm telling you, he's a Graham. <laughs> That's what we do, right? And he'd walk around, and he said, oh, Byron, he said, he said uh, uh, you've got to meet this lady. Uh, I forget her name. He said, um, um, oh, he said, she's filthy rich. Filthy rich. And she'd say, oh, Andrew, stop it. Don't say, no, Byron, you've got to meet her. She's loaded, this woman. She's mega rich, you know. He'd make a bit of fun of her and get away with it. It's a Graham thing. (laughs) I hope mine is sanctified, though. That's the only thing. (laughs) And he'd tell me, you know, that these rich and famous, these wealthy who could afford a three-week cruise on the QE2 would go home for a week and then come back and do another cruise. And go home for a week and come back and do another cruise. And we'd be thinking, a cruise on the QE2, like, awesome. Then what? You hearing me? Then what? And I love pleasure. I'd love to be able to take it easy. I'd love to be able to have the worry of my future You know, put aside like, yeah, cool, got this. Never have to work again. But then what? What about the people that win lotto? They lose it in five years. You with me? We we strive for pleasure. And let's face it, life would be pretty dull without pleasure. I mean, pleasure is a good thing. It's not a bad thing, people. Pleasure is a good thing. As long as you get your pleasure from purpose. You've got to get your pleasure from purpose. Don't buy into the deception that when I reach the top, then I'll be able to have a life of pleasure, a life of leisure. No more words. When I get to the top, when I reach the top, when I sell my soul for the top, then it'll all be good. You and I both know the rich and famous still commit suicide. Because yeah. yes. yeah. they have no what then. Now I watched our serve team at the Anzac Day. Last Thursday, Anzac Day. Highway Church puts on the morning tea for the all the diggers. Prepare for like 500 guys. 500 people come. I go out the kitchen with these people and some of you are here today and they have the most fun, cutting up watermelon, you know, doing all sorts of stuff for the diggers, preparing all the trays and trays of scones and biscuits and Anzac biscuits and all of that and they all, I don't know, 20 of them all around serving and and having a ball. I watch our Highway Café of a Friday morning, I go into the kitchen and everyone's got their little station because that piddly kitchen up there is not the size of yours. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so what happens is everyone's got, you know, one guy's the, the, the French toast bread cutter uh, and the next guy's the French toast apple stewer and the next guy's the, you know, bernet sauce maker and the next one. And they're all in this, in this little kitchen together and they have a ball. They have the most fun. I go in there and stir them up. (laughs) I love it. It's a Graham thing. (laughs) I stir them up. And they have so much fun. Because it's pleasure that comes out of purpose. Pleasure that comes out of purpose. So I ask you that question. Are you living for pleasure or are you living for purpose? Because if you're living for purpose, you'll automatically have pleasure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, I know that this message is a little hard. I get that. And, you know, as a pastor, these sorts of messages you try and get someone in for. (laughs) Because you don't want to be the bad guy. But as a father, talking to the family, we've got to turn this around. Because we're heading in the wrong direction, church. Christianity in our country is heading in the wrong direction. And it's not because we don't do church. It's because church is where we stop. You with me? Don't even get me started on the politics. I've been a, a pastor on the coast here for twenty four years. The church politics is unbelievable. Who's got the most people? You know, that family went to your church, they should have they could have come to my church. No no no, 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 no no no. Seriously. Church politics is is the killer of the church in no two ways about it. Everyone has their own thing in church. Like that's mine. You can't. Do this. No, no. I'm I'm in charge of that. Why didn't they give me that job? I would have been better choice to do that job than them, that that other bloke. With me. Yeah. And everyone's striving for the position or control or or whatever it is. And and the Lord showed me a a a, a, a thing that as I was preparing this message. And church politics is like. Trying to get the best cabin on the Titanic. Let that sink in. I can't tell you the people that left my church because they didn't get the job they wanted. Really? And their family are lost. Their loved ones are broken and hurting. And they're the carriers of life, of Jesus Christ, that has transformed them. And they're worried about not getting their way. You with me? Let me pray for you because, honest, it may not sound like it today, but I do love you. I do love you. And, you know, if every message was was fairy floss, you wouldn't have any teeth in your head. But it's good to have a piece of steak every now and then, you vegans. Good to have something that's going to... You walk away and go, I don't think I like that bloke. I'm okay with that. Provided it challenges you to grow beyond... Where you are today, because I don't want the church to become extinct in Australia. And the only way it won't is if we lead someone to Jesus. With me, and it's not hard. Every person that walks through those doors that I that, I, that have come for the first time, I've spoken to. I said, I, and I because I, you know I want to know. I want to know. Tell me. Tell me honestly. Tell me the truth. How did you find it? Was it relevant? Did you understand it? Were there things that you sort of went, ugh, don't like that? I said, you won't offend me. I need to know so we can grow. Tell me the truth. And to a person they say, oh, no, I loved it. I love this. I didn't know church was like this. I'm coming back next week to a person so this isn't the problem amen it's up to us and particularly with Gilston you know we're we're breaking into a whole new area and we've been gifted gifted the greatest opportunity I've seen in 24 years of church life gifted God is with us I can tell you. But if we don't get them saved and build them for eternity, they will be lost. And so will Christianity in Australia. Don't complain about the laws they pass that are immoral it's only because they've got the numbers numbers create laws because numbers get politicians in power that's all it is and you don't need 100% you only need 11% to swing to swing a vote 11% we just need to get people saved the laws will change you with me? Father thank you Lord for your spirit upon us today your word in our hearts Lord I know it was challenging but we need to be challenged and I pray Father that it was done in love and and people are not offended in this room today but motivated the church isn't the goal it's just part of it We must lead them to you, to you, or they will be lost, and your sacrifice will be cheapened, because you died for them. We let them go. Touch our hearts, Father, motivate us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, Pastor Dave. Come up here, rescue me.